and this is Sono. And I am Amit. Welcome to Moonspeak, your source for bi-weekly Sailor Moon Crystal discussion and analysis. Remember to keep supporting the official releases of the show so we can get more, hopefully, by watching it every first and third Saturday on Hulu, Crunchyroll, uh, I think I say Nico Nico and uh, Neon Alley is uh, you know, really where it's yes. at, uh, and other fun, uh, fine sites. Ah, so um, this week we're going to be discussing Sailor Moon Crystal Act 20, Crystal Tokyo King and Dimion. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all, most of the good stuff, a lot <laughs> of the good stuff, uh, coming in this week, this episode. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's funny, um, somebody mentioned to me, I think it was Rob, when we were recording our Ninja Crossover, he said, you're like the only person I know who enjoys uh, Crystal, and I thought, that's kind of strange. Um, it's but... very it's very polarizing uh, within the fandom. Some people love it, some people really, really don't. Uh, yeah, there are a couple weird. of people that are kind of in, in the neutral space uh, that we kind of seem to have fallen into here. Yeah. Some good, some bad. Yeah, exactly. There's goofy animation. Supposedly they're fixing it in Blu-rays. It, it's not fixed well enough, believe me. <laughs> okay. I have seen some of it, and it's fixed-ish. Mm. They redid it. <laughs> not always the best. Right. Was anything worse that you've seen than it was before? I think there was one thing that was worse, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> oh, boy. I There are a lot of fun on Tumblr, like, screen capture blogs completely dedicated to all of the messed up animation in Crystal. And, like, if you like animation, it is a fun thing to look at. Uh, it's kind of painful, but it's it's still really fun in that way. Well, I think I might give it a whirl one day. Um, maybe we can include some of those links in this uh, episode's post. I'll see if I can dig some up. Yeah, it could be fun. Um, so, yeah, speaking of... Uh, like people not being pleased. Um, there was this IO9 review that I read just while I was... I, I think I was looking for the manga, because I regret having gotten rid of the first uh, Kodansha re-release from, like, 2011. Ah, uh, yes. And I was thinking, well, maybe I can just get them all digitally, and it doesn't look like it now, which is weird. Because Viz has it, so, like, why isn't Viz selling it? But, I don't know. How do things go out of print in the digital age? Does that make sense? No, it, yes and no. Uh, digital digital media is a complicated uh, thing. Yep, that's why you just pirate it, right? Uh, yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, but, but it's kind of hard not to sometimes. Some, sometimes you really, there's really no choice. I mean, if there's a, an available official release, definitely try and get it. Oh, um, yeah. But some things don't have that. Yeah, I, I I think I did find though that if I want to get it in uh, physical, I can get it on Amazon for like nine bucks a pop, and that's not bad you, at all. You can, the the physical copies are still pretty easy to find. It just seems weird that why wouldn't you, especially with Crystal coming out, like why wouldn't you re-release or whatever? But I yeah, know. I don't know. I don't want to. We don't digital, know enough to say official, what happens. Official like so. digital comics releases have always been kind of a weird, weird area for me that I've always supported but considered in an odd way. But that's because I'm coming from from a web comics background, hmm. uh, and the web comics model has never really been applied there, even though I think it would be interesting. An interesting. 
uh, experiment to do. Hmm. But that's right. very off topic. Yeah, it is. As you say, now that we've discussed the arts, let's get back to uh, Crystal. Um, so, I have some questions for you, and uh, I'll, I'll share too, but I'm more interested in hearing your answers for the most part. So, uh, first question. <sighs> what is Black Moon's problem with uh, long life and relative peace? When did Wise Man get to them, before they went to Nemesis or after? And if that's like a major spoiler, you can hold off on that um, second half. I'm pretty sure that Wise Man was there first. That Wise Man... Is the exile. Was, yes, and yeah. that the rest of them just kind of showed up. Uh, intending to use Nemesis, and it kind of went the other way around. I am positive that there's an explanation for their issue with Long Life, uh, and I think it was kind of legit, but I don't remember the finer details of that. And mostly they're just kind of jerks, and Wise Man made them into bigger jerks. (laughs) Uh, Demand has a very specific bug up his butt that we're starting to see uh, the first kind of levels of skeeve there. But uh, there, there are explanations for all of it uh, that are coming, I believe. Okay, hopefully. <laughs> all right, that's fine. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I just feel so weird. I think I make comments later. Um, the episode is Countercultural Jerks. That's the title because, like, that's what these Black Moon people are, and I really don't get it. And I'm waiting for the explanation, but for right now, I'm, that's just I'm putting them in that category. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, question two, prompted by uh, this review on io9, which the listeners cannot see, and, I, and you checked out earlier, though, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that Crystal's sticking too closely to the manga and having a bad showing because of that, and do you feel that you are judging the show fairly? I honestly don't think that the fact that it's sticking to the manga uh, is giving it a bad showing. Uh, the review does make a really good point of the forced relationship drama that is happening for absolutely no reason, and I 100% agree there, because especially in this episode, it wasn't working. But I don't really agree with the rest of it. There are a good handful of storytelling problems in Crystal, but I don't think it's because it's sticking to the manga. It's a consequence of it, certainly. There were things that were awkward in the manga, but I wouldn't call Crystal's story unwatchable. I think the story is still pretty solid, pretty easy to follow. Uh, It knows where it's going much, much more than uh, the previous series. Uh, Again, but it has a more limited time. I'm going to regard this uh, a lot in the way that I regard Kamen Rider and Super Sentai. If you're here primarily for the action, which the person writing that review seemed to be from the way that it read, an episode uh, dedicated mostly to character development is going to feel like a waste of your time. And this is why I'm furiously against the term filler and loathe most complaints about Tokyo, because a lot of people can't seem to discern the difference between a filler episode and a character-building episode. Uh... Yes, the action and conflict move the plot forward. But the plot is going to be completely hollow and without any kind of meaning without good characters being involved in that plot. And to have good characters, you have to take the time to develop them. I admit, a lot was put on the table in this one episode. But this storyline is only 13 episodes long, and a full one-third of that has already been taken up by getting the other three girls kidnapped and then this trip to the 30th century. 
I do agree there are a lot of ways this could have been cut down. They spend a full minute, like, dancing around the fact that Shibiusa is Mamoru and Usagi's daughter. They all but say it at least three times by pointing out that the king and queen are this girl's parents, and also that the king and queen are Usagi and Mamoru. And everyone just kind of stares dumbly until uh, the king outright says, this is your kid. And I have a hard time believing that of the five people there, no one was able to put two and two together before that moment. But we learn a lot of valuable things in this episode, and there was a lot of other drama built up in Shibiusa that was completely ignored in that review. Uh, that comes a lot from watching Chibiusa's reactions to things that are being said. And they're very, very important things. Crystal has its issues. It's a very flawed show on a lot of levels. But honestly, I think most 13-episode anime are very, very flawed in this way, and that it's a rough time limit to fit such a complex world into. When you had 30 more episodes to fill this in the first series. It was a 43-episode arc, though I know a small portion of that was taken up by uh, the Makaiju arc. Still, it was a lot more time to fill out this story than the 13 episodes that Crystal has to give it. I think I'm giving Crystal a fair swing here. We're both giving Crystal a pretty fair a pretty fair chance, a pretty fair uh, reception. It has its flaws, and we acknowledge that, but it's not the scourge of all Sailor Moondom. And whether it is or isn't, it doesn't change the fact that you have multiple, many other iterations of the series to enjoy, if that's what you prefer. Yeah, as somebody who hasn't seen any of the original show, except for, um, it was funny listening to the Love and Justice podcast. Um, they were describing an episode where, like, they take a break from, I don't know, from, like, something really serious, and Usagi goes to this, or, and, like, I don't know, somebody from Black Moon, I think, sets up a school. Uh, oh, no, 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 it was, um, it was in Dark Kingdom Arc. They set up, like, a, uh, school, and there's, like, frisbee throwing. The done. princess school! Yeah, the princess school. That's, that was that is wh- an amazing episode. <laughs> when it's I so when ridiculous. I asked you before a while back about um like is there something like where they all throw discs? I'm pretty sure that's because I saw a snippet of the princess school episode on TV, you know, twenty years ago or whatever. Yeah, no, the the princess school episode is absolutely hilarious because they're just like, okay, we know that she's the princess, and we know that she does these like four specific things. And one of them is throwing the tiara. So we just gotta get a princess school together and find the girl that throws it like that. And it works. <laughs> That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> it is absolutely beautiful. So anyway, that's better than this. I don't I don't know how that works, but that's okay. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but whatever. Um, it is it is an amazing episode. <laughs> okay. I'll uh, I'll take you at your word for that. Um, but, like, honestly, the manga felt unreadable to me when I first started to read it, uh, like, three or four years ago. Because I, I thought, oh, Sailor Moon is this big thing, and I missed it on TV, and I knew girls in, like, 7th and 8th grade who were really into it, and, uh, I heard Chibiusa's little, um, Mamoru song about rain or shine, blah, 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 you know? Um, so, like, I have, I had all these weird little Sailor Moon things in my head, and I thought, like, oh, I gotta check this out, because it's supposed to be great. And I read it, and I was like, eh. 
I gotta get rid of this thing. I don't like it that much. And I'd rather buy something else. A little hard to read, uh, just because it's very much uh, in the shoujo visual style, in which there's not a, a lot of panels kind of run together. There's a lot of not a lot of panel borders. Things kind of running together. A lot of heavy textures, uh, and it's the the lines themselves are very light. And I can understand how that could be a little difficult. Uh, to read and follow and really get a sense of the action that's going on. Yeah, and, like, I'm not even sure, like, I, I, I want to say that more the the text didn't grab me that much. And maybe because it's manga, the, the feeling of the visuals on, on me um, didn't let me give a chance to the, to the text and what was going on. So, anyway, uh, but, like, Crystal, I mean, from the first episode, I was hooked, so... Yeah, even if it's uh, you know unwatchable to everybody else, to me it's uh, it's pretty good. And like you said, there are flaws, and we acknowledge them. So uh, I think we can move on to the next question. Yes. Uh, which is, what do you think the theme of this arc or this part of the arc is? Uh, with Black Moon is very much centered around Shibuya, um, very much around Shibuya and Usagi both. Uh, I think a lot of the theme, the underlying theme going on is everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes really, really bad mistakes that will screw up everything. And you just have to own up and make it right, no matter how scary it seems, or things are going to get exponentially worse if you try and lie about it or ignore it or run away from it. It's all just going to get even worse, and you've just got to do what you got to do to make it right. Hmm. That's interesting. I was thinking, because I don't have the perspective of knowing anything that happens after here, really, except for I assume that everyone's going to live, except for the bad guys. Um, (laughs) um, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe it's about inescapable sorrow and, like, learning how to deal with that, because Usagi's had everything stripped away from her, and Chibiusa has, too, but, like, in a more dramatic way, because it all happened in one fell swoop. Whereas Usagi's had the Black Moon come to the past and just one by one take her friends away. And now, like, her relationship with Mamoru is messed up. Which, yeah, fake relationship drama or not, for the character, um... Yeah, no, for, she for feels Usagi, that. this is very serious. And yeah, and I'd, I'd just like to come to her defense a little, uh, which i probably do later in the notes. But, like, she admitted she was kind of being dumb, which is good. Um, and I think that belies some of the complaints about the fake drama, because, I don't know... Real life, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you want to jump out a window and then you realize afterwards, like, oh, it's really not that a big deal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think, like, dealing dealing with loss and dealing with sorrow and kind of figuring out how to handle that is definitely a big part of what's going on here. Yeah, and I, 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 as you were saying, you know, what it's about, I was thinking, well, I guess probably after you see The Triumph, it's easy to look back on the show. Or, you know, that you've read it and say, like, yeah, you know, Chibiusa went through these things and, like, she went ahead and faced them and, and dealt with it and everything was okay or it got better. Um, and you could take that lesson and say, like, yeah, that's that's how to deal with things. You just take them on. You don't hope that thing, yeah. the bad things stop. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, well, you ready to get into the meat and veggies? Yeah. All right. Uh, so, apparently... As uh, Queen, and I'm going to apologize to the readers or listeners rather. Um, in my attempt to not do a lot of uh, 
<laughs> recap, I like started doing paragraphs instead of like line by line. So hopefully this flows better anyway. Ah, uh, so apparently his queen Usagi is a bit of a homebody. King Endymion tells Usagi and company that one day she suddenly, uh, you know, out of her custom, ran from the uh, Crystal Palace and was engulfed in uh, crystal, which protected her. I guess the legendary silver crystal, of course. Um, it protected her while Crystal Tokyo, if not the whole world, uh, was destroyed. The Queen's Guardians, Venus, Mercury, Mars, and Jupiter were stricken after the legendary Silver Crystal protected her, and uh, only Diana and Chibiusa were left unscathed. The Malefic Black Crystal um, like shot up out of the ground in Crystal Tokyo, and it's uh, warping space and absorbing everything on Earth. I'm a little surprised it didn't affect Diana. Um... This may it may not have affected her in the manga, and I'm just not remembering that. But I'm wondering why. Uh, this is another case of me being fascinated by things that are mostly irrelevant to the actual <laughs> plot. But the the bits of this half of the arc that I'm remembering, it seems slightly odd for Diana to have also not been affected for some reason. Uh, I do really like that Endymion is referring to the girls as. Uh, goddesses instead of soldiers in the future. Hmm. Uh, the five of them, and past just the five, are way beyond kind of mortality and kind of being earthly creatures at that point. And I just think that's a really nice touch that he's uh, kind of elevated them, or that they have become elevated in the 30th century. Hmm. That's interesting. I totally did not notice that. Maybe I should go back and watch. Maybe that was uh, just a thing. I don't know if we were watching different subtitles. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Um, all right. So I was—I just had a stupid thought, like, "Oh, the apotheosis of the sailor Senshi." Anyway. Uh, um. So, um, King Endymion takes uh, Sailor Moon and company to a Situation Room after Minako questions who the Black Moon are which I was very grateful for Monaco doing this because it's been way too long that we haven't been able to know specifically what's going on. Yeah. Uh, there he shows them Planet Nemesis and tells them of a human criminal from centuries in the past who was banished to Nemesis, who we talked about earlier. is probably Wiseman, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Wiseman. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just as Nemesis had been uh, rediscovered, the Black Moon, a mass-murdering terrorist group who hates long lifespans uh, and thus snuffs out as many as they can to end them, made it their HQ. Man, what jerks. Like, <laughs> I, again, I feel like there was an actual explanation for them hating long lifespans that was pretty legit, but nonetheless, they are still attempting to murder a whole planet and kind of need to chill out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at history and... Uh, oh, man, I don't know, like, study of populations, like, people supposedly didn't live very long... Like, 30 was an old person, and then you died yeah. from disease. So, like, now that we're in the 20th century living till, like, 80, what's wrong with living till... I, I mean, I know uh, over 10 times that is a lot more, but still. I, I don't know. It's just weird. Uh, okay, so, uh, Sagi and Mamoru start disappearing. Oh, this is so cool, because time is not okay with people violating the time stream and uh, having past and present selves together, especially if they're in close proximity. Uh, King Indomin explains that Pluto is, one, literally Kronos' daughter... Uh, two, she is the original slash oldest pretty guardian, and three, a really awesome person all around. 
uh, Pluto gives them the time key, and they promise to come back to stop the Black Moon. And, by the way, I love how uh, Endymion says, I know it would usually be against the law, but you got to do this. And she's like, eh, all right, King, you got okay. it. Okay, it's just Pluto reacting to all of this praise was so adorable. Oh, yeah. Like, looking at Pluto in the context of what we know about her, most people don't even know the fact that the door exists, must, much less that she's there beyond it. And most people who do end up there to find out who, that she's there end up, like, they get dead pretty quick. Because Pluto's pretty serious about her job. So it's very likely that she hasn't heard praise si- in several millennia since back with the original Queen Serenity... Uh, probably when they met. Mm. If ever. Right. So, I mean, no matter how much you do a job, like, without really wanting or thinking about getting thanks for it, it's always really, really nice to hear such high praise, because Endymion's like, this is the coolest chick in the universe. (laughs) And, I mean, I know there are a lot, there's a lot of, uh, within within, uh, fans of the series, there's a lot of thoughts about her maybe having feelings for Endymion, having feelings for both Endymion and Serenity, um, having had feelings for the original Serenity, Hmm. all all sorts of things, just feelings for pretty much literally any adult that she's ever had contact with, because there's, as far as we know, like three of them. Right. But it, it, and I, I had that in mind watching this, but it really came off to me more like, does do the few people that know about me really think this highly of me? Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Mamoru talking to himself and, uh, well, yeah, talking to himself and King being sweet to Chibi-Usa, along with Mamoru vowing to protect his future daughter to his future self, uh, was all kinds of sweet. Mamoru's dad sense is adorable, and I've spent so much of the series trying to not make, like, not to imply, like, oh, he's doing this because some part of him knows. <laughs> uh, and, like, a, all of his behavior up until now makes a lot more sense when you put it in that context of him having always had this kind of paternal instinct toward her, and some part of him knowing that this was his child. It's like, oh, well, I have to, you know, I have to take care of her when she's scared. I have to make sure she has a place, a place to sleep, a place to be. And it's just, he, he's, he's a good dad. <laughs> Mamoru is a good dad. And I mean, that, that was one thing about the io9 review where it, they were very, very hard on Mamoru. Yeah. Didn't they say he's the worst and they have like a whole post written about that? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I didn't either. But there were various, various uses of the sentence Mamoru is the worst, which uh, I don't agree with. If they want to feel Mamoru is the worst, all more power to them. But I mean, I disagree. Uh, But Endymion telling Chibiusa that like she did the right thing and that she was being brave was really, really sweet, because I think that's kind of really the affirmation that she needed, that someone from her own time, who is at least somewhat aware of the situation, is telling her she did the right thing, especially someone as important to her as her father. Yeah, and I, man, I wish I'd made notes about this, but I'll just say it now. I really like the idea of 
Chibi Usa being with her parents before they're her parents, and almost regarding them as strangers. And, like, how bittersweet that must be, because she can see her parents' faces, but they look a little younger, and they don't look quite the same, but also they don't embody the same confidence and grace and nobility, and I'm not using that in a... Uh, like, imperialistic way or anything. I'm just saying, like, they have a certain, like, gravitas and, like, a, a calm, cool collectedness, um, probably as their yeah. adult selves, even though I'm sure Usagi's still a little silly. Oh, yeah. But I mean, um, like, in the 30th century, they've already been through everything that happens in the full context of Sailor Moon. In the full yeah. context of the canon, they've been through everything. And just knowing things that happen in later seasons, yeah, Usagi is going to be a very different person at that age. Mamoru is going to be a very different person. And I think to some extent she keeps telling she has to keep telling herself these aren't my mom and dad. These are people that will become my mom and dad and she wants to keep regarding them that way just because she knows they are but then she has to remind herself no, they aren't quite yet. Yeah, and that must be so hard. (laughs) Especially for such a young yeah. child. Ah, Alright, moving on. So I'm getting all emotional. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, anyway, so uh, on Nemesis, Esmerad... Um, no, 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 that's not right. Here we go. Um, but the next day, uh, Chibiusa has snuck off to the 30th century to be with her parents, and she laments that she hasn't been able to wake up her Again, mom. just this poor kid. She is trying so hard, and I definitely feel for her a lot more now than I did when I was younger. Um, I think looking at this in a more condensed perspective, uh, just as a much different person than I was 20 years ago, uh, I just, I really feel for her here because she is trying anything and everything she can do to make, to, to make this right and to help her mom. Yeah, it's super rough <laughs> to watch. Uh, okay, so going on. Um, on Nemesis, Esmeralda is watching Prince Demand looking at a hologram of the Queen. When which he's looked at this before, yeah, that, and I never noticed. Well, is that he, right? Okay. He's had it the whole time. It, it hasn't okay. shown up before now, but he's just always had that thing. Okay. Creepy. Yeah. All right, moving on. He's like he's like the uh, ultimate Facebook stalker. Pretty much. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, then, like, Ruby sneaks up on her and gives her a hard time, and she gives it back, and asks Prince Demon to give her another go at Sailor Moon with some new power she got from Wise Man, and, uh, shut the front door, code extra, Operation Relax. Um, and while she's saying that, she's doing her weird, creepy hula dancer arms with her, like, Wise Man monster arms, and she guarantees that she'll get, uh, Sailor Moon, Chibusa, and the Legendary Silver Crystal all set for Endymion, er, sorry, for Demand to do with as he pleases. Yeah, and he just has that <sighs> big giant hologram of like super dolled up Princess Serenity or Queen Neo Queen Serenity, excuse me. Uh, like <laughs> she's got all of these like pearls and like the extra makeup, and she's in this pose. Like it's this really glamorous image of her, and he just hangs out and stares at it all the time. Completely fixated on this woman who he has only met once because she just kept screaming at him because he was killing her planet. 
And he's clearly more concerned with that than what he's saying he's after, and it's gross. But oh man, those those creepy plant monster arms. Oh, why would you even want that? Like, do they grow back if you cut them off? That that might be useful. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird, though. I just love like I don't know they were kind of buff and like the way they just kept like wiggling and stuff. It was just it was so weird. Oh man. Anyway, so uh, Ezrod happens upon Chibiusa and attacks her just before Usagi and the others arrive to find the runaway princess. She has baited them into a trap, as she knows uh, Moon Princess Elation won't work because the power of the legendary silver crystal is time-bound. Um, so Usagi's won't work in the 30th century. King Endymion helps to mask blow away Ezrod with Tuxedo the Smoking Bomber, uh, like in stereo, and um, <laughs> Prince Tamon teleports... Uh, to them with wise men. I'm mildly confused as to why everyone else's power still worked. Does Usagi draw that <laughs> heavily on the crystal? What about the attack she had from before she had the crystal? Come on, Usagi. Face laser. Oh, yeah. You've got this huge, crazy <laughs> face laser, and the moon is like ten feet away. <laughs> oh, man, that's but, funny. Speaking of... Uh, things that I'm mildly confused about. Why were only Usagi and Mamoru vanishing? Why not Venus, Luna, and Artemis, who all also had future counterparts? That's a good question. Maybe they were in the same exact state. Everyone's in the same state, so why is it only those two who were disappearing? Why why did time only get annoyed by those two? I don't know. Maybe they're too Maybe. good looking. They're such a cute couple. Times like I can't. Times like this. no, you can't have. I can't have two of my OTP in the same. Room. No. <laughs> Y'all need to oh. go back. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Okay, so uh, Demand tells Sailor Moon and company that um, he can change the world even more, uh, which I assume means destroy it more, depending on them. Um, or he'll, you know, not destroy it as much. Uh, so then his third eye appears after he recalls a moment uh, that you were talking about earlier with Neo Queen Serenity yelling at him. Um, and Asagi's captured in an orb of energy, limp and looking, I think, disturbingly yeah, comatose. Yeah, especially with the way she's kind of hanging there. It is. It was. Yeah. Uh, demand was really gross and creepy in this episode, and just like his whole, like his fixation on her eyes, and just like, oh man, this. Really angry woman screaming at me sure is pretty. That's a thing that I'm gonna keep yeah. thinking about. Like, oh no, don't do that. You go home. Yeah. <laughs> go home. Ugh. All right, so let's let's get away from the yes. creepiness and, and go straight into the, the fun front. stuff. <laughs> All right, so the 20th century kids have uh, such great reactions of shock and surprise at King Endymion. Um, from their faces to Usagi noticing uh, he has no reflection to be uncomfortable about the fact that Usagi and Mamoru have a kid together. It's all pretty fantastic. Uh, Minako's reaction was great. She just she doesn't know how to take in this information, so she she was just looking back and forth between Usagi and Mamoru like, oh god, one of you needs to react so that I can try and defuse the situation. But no one's doing anything, what do I do? And then 
just trying to find a way in to cut the tension was so great. And, I mean, everyone's reactions were great, even if I do think they really dragged out that reveal too hard. I do miss the fact that in the first series, everyone was there, because Ray's reaction was priceless. She's just demanding, I need to know the exact day and hour and minute that this occurred, because I do not understand. Wow. Like, That's funny. That That is the exact quote, is I need to know the exact day, hour, and minute that this happened. Uh, in the original series, was it clear, even, you know, on American TV in the 90s, that they had had sex um, by this point? Well, I I don't remember there being... Again, uh, at this point, we were still in the Deke dub, so if it was, that may have been cut out, because uh, mm. that was very heavily edited. Uh, but they did. They didn't. And they even skipped episodes, yes, right? Uh, but they yeah, didn't okay. try. They didn't cut out Chibiusa being their daughter. So I mean, the mm. implication was technically still there. Oh yeah. For um, sure. Luna and Artemis f- reacting to finding out about their own daughter was also hilarious and perfect. Uh, yeah, I was really amused by that. <laughs> not not quite as perfect as how it went in the original series because they dedicated a full episode to this. Uh, oh, that's funny. Not not a not a totally fantastic episode, but still amusing in a lot of ways. Uh, it was a much much smaller thing here. Uh, it happens much later in the first series. I think it happens uh, next next season. I think it maybe the beginning of S. Uh, but it just very very cute reactions from them. Like oh my god, we all started having children. How did this happen? <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Endymion asking Chibiusa to introduce herself properly and her reticence was absolutely precious. Um, and that name, too. Uh, wow. Uh, so she's Usagi, small lady, Serenity, daughter of Neo Queen... And I know, you know, the name ends here, but daughter of Neo Queen Serenity and King Endymion and the first princess of the Silver Millennium. Uh, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be funny or... Like, just a commentary on how royal, royal names can be long, but uh, it sure may be Yeah, not, I think so. Small Lady may be more of a title than actually, like, part of her name, but high-class introductions are my favorite thing in the world for exactly this reason. If you can get your introduction to go on for a full minute, like, that's the best. That's the best for me. I love it. It's hilarious. Alright, so next, um, Diana tells Chusa that the king has been watching over her, um, like, the whole time. And I think that's really sweet, but does that mean he's been in the 20th century, or looking back into the past, or just in the 30th century while she's there, or both? She could very well mean both, because the king has kind of been been keeping track of what's going on. Uh, and Diana knows very well what's going on, since she kind of plays the role for Chibiusa that Luna plays for Usagi, uh, where she's uh, Chibiusa's attendant. So she would probably want to help Chibiusa feel like these people from the past really are, like, to a degree, the same people that Chibiusa loves, and that they'll protect her just as much as her parents will. Diana's a good kitty. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about how Mamoru might have known, or, like, intuited that Chibiusa was his daughter, and that's why he felt so you know, paternal towards her. And I was thinking, because he's the, you know, king of the earth and he's, like, intimately connected with it, maybe the earth, like, the weird undefined earth powers he has 
um, since it's the same Earth in the past, present, and future, I feel like he gets vibes through it. Yeah, possibly. That that could have been part of it, because, I mean, the Earth is within the realm of time, but it's probably aware. Right. Uh, okay, so, uh, fun fact. Silver Millennium Folk can easily live 1,000 years, and since Usagi was crowned and became a mother at 22, which, like, woot woot for young parenting, yeah. I think. Um, the legendary silver crystal flower has spread throughout the earth, uh, so that just about everyone has these wonderful long lives. I mean, that's really because that's what Usagi wants, because she loves the people of Earth, and she wants them to have these really long, happy lives with the people she loves. The crystal acts on her will, especially at that point. So, I mean, that's something that her heart wanted for everyone, and I think that's, that's really nice. Yeah, that, that is really cool, and I figured it had something to do with her uh, her goodness. Okay, so this is a little complicated, but uh, let's just go through it. <laughs> uh, so Usagi's reaction um, to uh, like seeing Mamoru being all fatherly, um, I thought was uh, I like I read it as positive, and I thought it was a touching blend of uh, like Mamoru is so sweet, and mm, I want him right now. <laughs> um, but maybe that's. I'm, like, sharing too much of stuff that happens with real parenting. Um, but anyway, uh, like, yeah, apparently I read this wrong, because then as soon as they return to Earth, she's really upset, and she runs away. And, uh, like, I, I see her point when she wonders why Mamoru didn't say that they should protect Chibiusa together. Um, and I I felt it was good drama. But I do very much agree with her sentiment of, like, why can't you say we'll protect her together after everything we just learned? Um, I think Mamoru's immediate reasoning uh, could pan out to, you guys need to focus on saving Ami, Rei, and Makoto and beating up the bad guys, so I'm going to keep our kids safe so you have one less thing to worry about because I don't have all the powers that you do. And I think that's pretty legit if that's how he's viewing this. I mean, he's seen how deeply scared and worried Usagi is, and he knows she has to do this. And he wants to do what he can to make it easier for her to go and do that. Especially since she and, again, she and Miyako are so far beyond him in strength. Where he's not all that much of an asset in battle. He has his kind of magical smoking bomber attack now, but it's not much compared to what the girls can do. But there's been a lot of information for them to take in, and Usagi is the type to need more direct support than that. She needs people who will fight with her to say that they're going to fight with her, especially when she's already so vulnerable, and or she's going to panic. And especially since Mamoru and Minako are all she has at the moment. I do feel that her saying Mamoru is choosing Chibiusa over her and over choosing Chibiusa over saving the other girls wasn't the right way to write it. Usagi isn't that dumb, and after everything they had just learned, I don't feel like that's how she should have reacted or would have reacted given her character. Especially if her mind jumps right to why isn't he saying we're going to protect her together? Why not just say that? right there in the scene where she's confronting him, instead of making these weird accusations that she then has to take time to regret. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I'm 
I, I think I, I'm a pretty emotional person, and I can see, I don't know, kind of making accusations. Oh, I, let's just say, I like to blame people a lot, and then afterwards I say, you know what, actually, it's my fault, or, like, it isn't really your fault, I'm just upset, or whatever. And, you know, you got to remember, she's 14, so, um, even though she is kind-hearted and really sweet and loving most of the time, uh, she hasn't, as far as we know, had to experience, you know, hardships like this, and... She's going through a lot, and I feel it kind of justifies her acting this way, and I don't think it denigrates her as a character at all. I think it shows the strength that she has, that she can, on her own, just by herself, be crying in her bed and, like, really look at herself and come up with an honest answer or, like, a correction to her behavior and say, you know what, I, this is what I really meant, and this is what I really feel, and... Like, at that point, I feel like she pretty much let go of those negative feelings and was just kind of woeful at, this, at the current situation. Yeah, it's, it all just felt... this The scene itself where she was making the accusations just felt very awkward, and the things she was saying felt very out of left field. And when you're emotional, that can happen. I have done that a billion times. Uh, and in the real world, that does happen a lot. It's just mm. in controlled fiction, no, it feels like kind of a weird thing to do. Yeah, they, they don't stop to go to the bathroom, so why do they have to make... There, there's certain things that just shouldn't creep into writing. And I see that's a yeah. fair point. Uh, Alright, did you have a favorite line from this episode? Um, I forgot to go back and actually get the line itself, but just all of Endymion's praise for Pluto. <laughs> uh, so that was a very... A very touching scene for me. And uh, also, when Shibiusa, in the moment when Diana is watching over future Luna and Artemis, and Diana, and Shibiusa kind of goes up to her while she's sleeping, is like, oh, you, you're worried about them. You're just as worried about your parents as I am about mine. Mm. I thought that was a very sweet moment. Yeah, that was nice. Um, so then, yeah, my, my, my thing was basically the whole thing leading up to her. Uh, well, I'm not going to repeat it because we just basically did. But the whole thing with her getting mad at Mamoru and then leaving and then uh, like wondering, regretting it and wondering why she was acting that way and then saying like, why couldn't he have just said this? I thought that was all really good because well, I kind of explained because I felt like it showed a lot of strength to get to that point. So yeah, and I mean, I I do really like that her the end of her point of reasoning was. Asking herself, why couldn't he say, let's protect her together? Because that's very much an admission of, I also want to protect her. Yeah. It's like, she's just as important to me. Which is a thing that Usagi has kind of been learning over the course of this arc. Where she was always very threatened by Chibiusa and very kind of very put off by her. But she's also kind of always had that feeling that Chibiusa is very important. And she's finally, now that she knows everything, she's like, yeah, I need to I need to help take care of her, too. Okay, well, I think it's a good point to end the episode. Yeah. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And, um, again, please send in comments. We'd love to hear them. Yes, yes, we would. All right, well, so it was good talking to you. Yeah, definitely. Bye-bye.